Chapter Two of Grace Harlowe's Junior Year at High School by Jessie Graham Flower. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Christine Blashford. Chapter Two Confidences. I am the bearer of an invitation, announced Anne Pearson as the four girls collected in one corner of the locker room during the brief recess allowed each morning. Mrs. Gray wishes to see us all at four o'clock this afternoon. We are to dine with her and spend the evening, and the boys are invited for the evening too. "'So we will have just time enough after school to go home and dress.' "'You had better meet at my house, then,' said Grace, "'for it's on the way to Mrs. Gray's. "'Good-bye. Be sure and be there at a quarter of four at the latest.' Promptly at the appointed time the girls hurried up the Harlow walk. They were met at the door by Grace, who had been standing at the window for the last ten minutes, with hat and gloves on, impatiently waiting their arrival. As they neared Mrs. Gray's beautiful home, Anne said in a low tone to Grace, who was walking with her, "'I suppose Mrs. Gray has a double motive in asking us up here today. "'I believe she wants to talk to us about Eleanor Savell. "'Miss Nevin called on Mrs. Gray yesterday, and they were in the parlour together for a long time. "'After Miss Nevin had gone, Mrs. Gray told me that Miss Nevin was anxious "'that Eleanor should associate with girls of her own age. "'That is the reason she brought her to Oakdale. "'Hurry up, you two, called Nora, who had reached the steps. "'How you do lag today!' "'You will hear more of this later,' whispered Anne." Mrs. Gray stood in the wide hall with hands outstretched in welcome. She kissed each girl affectionately, but her eyes lingered upon Anne, who was plainly her favourite. The old lady had become so accustomed to the sympathetic presence of the quiet young girl that it seemed at times as though her own daughter had come back to her once more. "'Come right into the library and make yourselves comfy,' cried Mrs. Gray cheerily. "'I spend most of my time there. The view from the windows is so beautiful, and as one grows old, one resorts more and more to book friendships.' "'What shall we do with you, Mrs. Gray, if you keep on insisting that you are old?' said Grace. "'You're not a day older at heart than any of the rest of us. "'Here, sit down in this nice, easy chair, while we take turns telling you just how young you are.' "'It is due to my adopted children that I am not a cross, crotchety, complaining old woman,' said Mrs. Gray, allowing Grace to seat her in the big leather-covered armchair. "'Now, what does your Majesty crave of her loyal subjects?' inquired Grace, bowing low before the little old lady.' "'Very well. If I am queen, then I must be obeyed. Draw up your chairs and sit in a circle. I want to tell you a little story. That is partly my reason for inviting you here this afternoon, although you know you are welcome whenever you choose to come.' "'Is it a fairy story, dear Mrs. Gray, and does it begin with Once Upon a Time?' queried Jessica. "'It is a story of real life, my child, but I'll begin it like a fairy tale if you wish it.' "'Oh, please begin at once,' said Grace, who, at eighteen, was as fond of a story as she had been at six. Well, once upon a time there were two sisters. They were really only half-sisters, and the one was almost twenty years older than the other. The mother of the elder sister had died when she was about fifteen years of age, and two years later the father had married a beautiful young Irish girl of very good family, who loved him dearly in spite of the difference in their ages. After they had been married a little over two years, a little girl came to them, and the older sister loved the tiny baby as dearly as she loved her beautiful young stepmother. "'Why, that sounds very much like Grimm's fairy tales,' exclaimed Nora. "'Only the book people are all kings and queens, but this is even better because the heroine is actually Irish.' There was a general laugh over Nora's remark, in which Mrs. Gray joined. "'It's a case of Ireland forever, isn't it, Nora?' said Grace teasingly. "'Fine and dandy are the Irish,' said Nora, with a grin, quoting from a popular song she had heard in a recent musical comedy. "'But stop teasing me, and let Mrs. Gray go on with her story.' When the baby sister, whose name was Edith, was about three years old, the beautiful young mother died and left the husband inconsolable. A year later he was killed in a railroad accident, and the elder sister, named Margaret, was left with only little Edith to comfort her. 
The father had been a rich man, so they had no anxiety about money, and lived on year after year in their beautiful old home, with everything Hart could wish. As Edith grew older, she developed a decided talent for music, and when she was fifteen, Margaret decided to take her abroad and allow her to enter one of the great conservatories of Europe. They went to Leipzig, and Edith, who had high hopes of one day becoming a concert pianist, continued her studies under the best instructors that money could procure. Things ran along smoothly until Edith met a young Italian named Guido Savelli, who was studying the violin at the same conservatory. His brilliant playing had already created a sensation whenever he appeared, and he gave promise of being a virtuoso. He fell violently in love with Edith, who had her mother's beautiful blue eyes and the combination of white skin and black hair that go to make an Irish beauty. She returned his love, and after a brief engagement they were married, much against the wishes of Margaret, who thought them both too young and impressionable to know their own minds. "'And did they live happily ever after?' asked Grace eagerly. "'That is the sad part of my story,' said Mrs. Gray, sighing. "'They were anything but happy. They both had too much of the artistic temperament to live peaceably. Besides, Guido Savelli was thoroughly selfish at heart. Next to himself, his music was the only thing in the world that he really cared for.' When they had been married for about a year and a half, he played before the king, and soon became the man of the hour. He neglected his beautiful young wife, who, in spite of their frequent quarrels, loved him with a pure and disinterested affection. Finally, he went on a concert tour through the principal European cities, and she never saw him again. She wrote him repeatedly, but he never answered her letters, and she was too proud to follow him. She had one child, a baby girl, named Eleanor, who was the sole comfort of the heartbroken mother. At this juncture, Anne and Grace exchanged significant glances. When Eleanor was about a year old, the mother wrote Guido Savelli once more, begging him to come to her, if only for the sake of his child, but either he never received the letter or else paid no attention to it, for she received no reply. She relapsed into a dull, apathetic state, from which the repeated efforts of her sister failed to arouse her. The following winter she contracted pneumonia and died, leaving her sister the sole guardian of Eleanor. "'How long ago did all this happen, dear Mrs. Gray?' queried Nora eagerly. "'And is little Eleanor living?' "'It was sixteen years ago, my dear,' replied Mrs. Gray, "'and the reason that I have told you this long tale is because the baby girl is almost a woman now, and—' "'The girl is Eleanor Savell, and we met her the other day,' broke in Grace excitedly, forgetting for an instant that she had interrupted Mrs. Gray. "'She is going to live at Heartsey's, and—oh, Mrs. Gray, please pardon me for interrupting you. I was so excited that I didn't realise my own rudeness.' "'Granted, my dear,' smiled the old lady. "'But how did you happen to meet Eleanor? They arrived only a few days ago.' Grace rapidly narrated their meeting and conversation with Eleanor, while Mrs. Gray listened without comment. When Grace repeated Eleanor's remark about having made up her mind, the old lady looked a little troubled. Then her face cleared, and she said softly, "'My dear Christmas children, I am very anxious that for her own sake you should become well acquainted with Eleanor. Her aunt was here yesterday, and we had a long talk regarding her. Eleanor is an uncommon girl in many respects. She has remarkable beauty and talent, but she is frightfully self-willed. Her aunt has spoiled her, and realises too late the damage she has done by having allowed her to grow up on the continent. They have lived in France, Germany, Italy, and Spain, with an occasional visit to America. And Eleanor has always done just as she pleased.' For years her aunt has obeyed her slightest whim, but as she grows older she grows more like her father, and her aunt wants her to have some steadying influence that will put a curb on her unconventional tendencies. When she wrote me of Eleanor, I wrote her about my girls and offered her heart's ease. She was delighted with the whole thing and lost no time in getting here. So now you understand why I have told you all of this. I want you to promise me that you will do what you can for this motherless girl." "'But we felt sure we should like her when we saw her the other day,' said Nora. "'She seemed so sweet and winning.' 
"'So she is. She has her father's winning personality, and a good deal of his selfishness, too,' replied Mrs. Gray. "'You won't find her at all disagreeable, but she is reckless, self-willed, defiant of public opinion, and exceedingly impulsive. I look to you girls to keep her out of mischief.' "'Well, we'll try, but I never did pride myself on being a first-class reformer,' said Grace, laughing. "'Where is her father now?' asked Anne. "'Is it possible that he is the great Savelli who toured America two years ago?' "'He is the man,' said Mrs. Gray. "'He is a wonderful musician. I heard him in New York City. I shall never forget the way he played one of Liszt's Hungarian rhapsodies. I must caution you girls never to mention Eleanor's father to her. She has been kept in absolute ignorance of him. When she is twenty-one, her aunt will tell her about him. If she knew he was the great Savelli, she would rush off and join him to-morrow. She is so impulsive.' She has the music madness of both father and mother. Her aunt tells me she is a remarkable performer and both violin and piano. "'But why shouldn't she go to her father if he is a great musician?' said Jessica. "'And why is she called Savelle if her name is Savelli?' "'Because, my dear, her father has never evinced the slightest desire to look up his own child. Even if he had, he is too irresponsible and too temperamental to assume the care of a girl like Eleanor,' Mrs. Gray answered. "'No, Eleanor is better off with her aunt.' As to her name, her aunt hates everything Italian, so she dropped the I and made the name Savelle. My, said Nora with a sigh, she is almost as remarkable as a fairy princess after all. Oh, I don't know, replied Grace quickly. Her life, of course, has been eventful, but I believe if we are to do her any good, we shall just have to act as though she were an everyday girl like the rest of us. If we begin to bow down to her, we shall be obliged to keep it up. Besides, I have an idea that I am as fond of having my own way as she is. Dinner is served, announced John the butler. The four girls arose and followed Mrs. Gray to the dining-room. During the dinner, Eleanor was not again mentioned, although she occupied more or less of the four girls' thoughts. Later on, David, Hippy, and Reddy appeared, and a merry frolic ensued. It was after ten o'clock before the little party of young folks prepared to take their departure. "'Remember, I rely upon you,' whispered Mrs. Gray to Grace, as she kissed her good-night. Grace nodded sympathetically, but went home with an uneasy feeling that playing the guardian angel to Eleanor would be anything but a light task." End of chapter 2